Well, good morning, everybody. If you have a Bible, you can turn over to Matthew 13. I'm going to talk kind of fast today. Uh, This month, we have been diving into the parables of Jesus. I hope it's been a blessing for you. Why are we in the parables of Jesus? Number one, because it's Jesus. It's Jesus teaching. I mean, hello. Uh, You can't do better than listening to the Word made flesh teach us the Word, right? And so that's awesome. Secondly, we're diving into the parables because they are just so cool. These parables are so cool. They are puzzling. They're mysterious. They're perspective shifting. They are agenda crushing. You know, in some cases, they are really cool. And uh, I'm just having an absolute ball diving just personally in my own study time, diving into these parables, just discovering some of the amazing things that Jesus says. We think, you know, Jesus, yeah, he's the son of God. He's great. And he's died for us and all this kind of stuff. But he's also very brilliant. He is a brilliant teacher. Reading these parables is like deciphering clues to a treasure map. And the treasure that we're after, the treasure that we've been talking about in the form of seed and plants and a woman baking bread and all these kind of things, this treasure is what we've been calling the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus calls it, the kingdom of God. And those of you who've been coming to generations very long, you know what we mean by kingdom. It's not like the place you go when you die. We're talking about the kingdom of God is this life that God invites us into right now down here. It is the life where God actually rules. His, his will rules and manifests in your life. His will rules and manifests in your life. It manifests in your relationships, in your health, in your finances, in your job, your career, your relationships, your family. And that is a beautiful thing. Jesus prayed. Remember, Jesus prayed your king, God, Father, your kingdom come. And then the very next phrase, he interpreted what he means by that. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Who doesn't want, who doesn't need a little heaven in your life right now? Heaven on earth right now. Amen. We all do. We all could, we could all use that. All right. So let's jump into this. We're in Matthew chapter 13. We're looking at verse 44. Here he goes. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, when he found that treasure, he stole it and ran home and kept it for himself. No, what did he do? He hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. All right. So we're going to look at a couple of interesting things in this parable. First of all, what is the kingdom compared to here today? The treasure. It's compared to treasure. And apparently, this kingdom of heaven, this treasure is extremely valuable. It's so valuable, you would do almost anything to get it. It's so valuable, you would give up everything you've ever worked for, everything you own, every piece of identity that that makes you you, or anything you've accumulated in your life, you would give it all up in order to get this kingdom treasure. That's the first thing we get from this parable. It's something valuable. The second thing we notice in this is the kingdom is like something hidden. That's interesting. There's something interesting, too, about here, the way it's hidden. Jesus doesn't say it's buried in the field or it's buried under a rock or it's hidden in a forest or something like that. He says it's hidden in a field. Now, if you're like me, when you first read this, maybe you're thinking of like, um, how, would, how would something be hidden in a field? Maybe it's corn, like a cornfield, big, tall stalks of something that's hiding the treasure. Or maybe you're thinking like a wheat field, golden sheaves of wheat that are hiding the treasure. 
But it turns out a better translation of this word that Jesus uses would be the word pasture, a pasture. And a pasture is more like a wide open space. It's not tall crops of anything where it's easy to hide. It's a wide open space where maybe your animals are grazing. And so what Jesus is saying here is the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a very open field. Hidden in the open. Hidden in the open. In other words, people will walk by this field every single day and not even know it's there. Those with eyes to see it will see the treasure, and those that do not will not. So how is it possible to hide treasure, hide something in the open where people will not see it? Well, on a January morning back in 2007, there was this metro station in Washington, D.C., and it suddenly filled with music. At exactly 7.51 a.m. in this Washington, D.C. metro station, this ordinary-looking man dressed in jeans and a baseball cap, he steps to the side and he pulls out this $3.5 million Stradivarius violin and he starts playing. This man's name was Joshua Bell. Turns out Joshua Bell is a very big deal. He is one of the finest violinists in the entire world. He regularly performs for sold-out concert halls all over the world. He's played for presidents, prime ministers, and he, he's played for all of these things. But of course, on the, compu- the commuters on that morning had no idea who he was. It was part of this undercover study that was put on by the Washington Post looking at human nature. And Joshua Bell is playing this box sonata, and it's considered one of the most challenging pieces for a violinist. And for 43 minutes, he plays in that subway station, and these commuters are treated to a free, world-class concert. But on that January morning, there was no applause, there was no pictures being taken, nobody asked for autographs. Honestly, nobody seemed to care of the more than 1,000 people that they counted walking past, only a few people stopped for at all. There was one man who stopped and listened for a few minutes. A couple of children stopped and listened for a little bit. And towards the end, a woman actually recognized him and said, hey, I know who you are. Now, why didn't all of these morning commuters recognize the incredible free opportunity right there in front of them to hear something that would normally cost them this really expensive concert ticket. The reason is because without a stage, without wearing his tux, without being in the beautiful concert hall with the padded seats and all that kind of thing, standing there in jeans and a baseball cap in a subway station, Joshua Bell seemed to look like your your average everyday run-of-the-mill street musician, probably just hoping for some spare change. All of us, it turns out, tend to value people and we value things according to uh, our perception of them rather than some objective data. It's our perception of them. And the parables that we're we're looking at today are really all about perceived value. Jesus reveals that even when there is something of infinite worth right in front of us, right within our grasp, some of us, most of us, we might say, will tend to infinitely undervalue it. 
that even with this priceless possibility of life in the kingdom of God, we'll walk right by it, we'll devalue it in favor of whatever agenda we woke up with that morning, because that becomes of infinite value to us. Nothing else, even though nothing else in this life could possibly measure up. And so what I want to try to do this morning is ask, what if we could take a second look at the way we value our relationship with Christ? And maybe, maybe do a little reappraisal of some things that we have ordered in our life. I was thinking this morning about St. Augustine, you know, the great Christian ancient father, who he had this definition of sin. He said that sin is not, there is no such thing as just ultimate evil. He said all sin is really disordered loves. Loves out of order. That, that's interesting. That'll make you think. Now, a common theme that we've seen in all these parables so far this month is that the kingdom of God is available to everyone, available to all. It's not just for a few to have a chance to enjoy. It's available to all. If you remember the parable of the wheat and the weeds, God allows both of them to grow, right? He doesn't like pull out the weeds uh, right in the beginning of their life. He allows both to grow and the chance to develop. Um, In the parable of the soil, the, the seed is passed to all types of soil, right? And it's not just the good soil that gets the seed. God allows everybody to hear the word, to receive the word. There's a later parable we probably won't get into in this series, but it's an interesting one. It's about these fishermen, and they throw this dragnet out in the, uh, the water. And the dragnets back then, they would hold it between them, and they would scoop up all the fish. Now, how many of you who've, you know, ever gone like deep sea fishing, you know, there's like good fish and there's like rah, fish, where, you know, those you throw back, the kind that really aren't any good. Um, and that's what they would do. So, but, but it's this picture of the kingdom scoops up everybody. The kingdom gives everybody a chance. And so here we have treasure that's hidden in plain sight for everyone to see who notices, but not everybody bothers to notice. Remember Jesus, what he keeps telling us is those with ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, it's up to us to lean in and understand. So that's what our goal is. We want to lean in and understand. In Mark's gospel, after one of the parables he teaches there, uh, Jesus says, he says, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more more understanding you'll be given, and and you will receive even more. The closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given. That's that Holy Spirit. So we have to have eyes that are open and ears that are open. God is speaking, but are we listening? Are we listening? Do we even notice the priceless concert (laughs) that God is performing right in front of us every single day, all around us? The treasure is right there for the taking, but are we alive? Are we awake? Are we aware? One person in this parable had eyes that were open to the moment happening around him. He was aware of what God was up to instead of just waltzing right by following the agenda that he woke up with. There's another thing that jumps out to me in this little parable. Um, It says that when the man found the treasure hidden in the field, in his joy, in his joy, he sold everything he had and he bought the field. This kingdom, apparently, provokes a lot of joy. Joy, apparently, is the, the fruit produced by this kingdom. Joy. Now, there's two different kinds of joy. 
There's the joy of this life. We might call that happiness, the joy of this life. And then there's the joy of the kingdom. And they're kind of related, but they are different. Uh, The joy of this life is born of the things of this life. The joy of this life is dependent on things going a certain way, circumstances being a certain way. Um, So, for example, your child is born. (gasps) You feel joy. You get a new promotion at work. You feel joy. You fall in love, you feel joy. And those are are beautiful, exquisite, spectacular kinds of joy. But there's one major difference between those kind of joy and the kingdom joy. The joy of this life is by its very nature temporary. All right? It's temporary. For example, when your child is born, you feel joy. But then you give it about five months of waking up at one in the morning two in the morning, three in the morning, four in the morning, right? Anybody, anybody with me? Anybody say amen? You love that, you love that baby, but the joy is a little harder to come by, right? When you're, when you're that sleepy, you get that big promotion. Yeah, that's awesome. It's exciting. You're getting more money. It's wonderful. You got that title, whatever it is, but the joy can begin to fade quickly as those hours begin to mount You're having to take more and more time away from your family and your boss isn't as nice as you thought she's going to be. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's kind of like a stick in the spokes of your joy there. Or you fall in love. How many of you have fallen in love and there's that joy? You are bathed in romantic euphoria. Joy that will last forever and ever. And then the years go by. And you find that you, you notice that the metaphors that you use to describe your marriage feels more like, it feels more like a mining expedition, right? Yeah, marriage, it's hard work. Whew, it's hard work. You got to get in there. You got to do the work. Do the hard work. Make sure you're working hard at that euphoric marriage. And do the hard work. And of course, all you young lovers out there uh, who are bathed in euphoric joy scoff at what I just said, because that sounds ridiculous. And it is. It's silly and ridiculous. Your love will never feel like hard work. (laughs) But that's life, right? That's life. The joy of every new thing, it starts to fade because it all depends on the circumstances around us being just so. That's the joy of this life. There's nothing wrong with that. Enjoy it. It's meant to be enjoyed, but it's not the same as kingdom joy. The joy described in in this parable today, the joy of this kingdom is by its very nature indestructible. Indestructible, ineffable. The joy of the life of this kingdom is not diminished by the things that happen in life. The joy of this kingdom is not subject to circumstances. The joy of this kingdom, it burns more inexhaustibly than the sun. The joys of this life, the joys of this life are nice, but they're beautiful for a time, but they're kind of like the moon, right? The moon is a reflection of the sun, and the joys of this life are like a reflection of the joy of the kingdom, but kingdom joy is like the sun. The joys of this life are, are echoes of a deeper joy that's it's dependent upon nothing. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the, the light, of, the beauty of the moon, right? I love me some full moon on a clear night. That's beautiful. 
But if you want to look for the kind of joy that you would sell everything to get, you'll find that in the kingdom. It's two different kinds of joy. Okay, you got your Bible? After describing this treasure, this treasure that brought the man to so much joy that he he sold everything he had to buy that field, Jesus goes on, he tells a similar parable in the very next verse. He says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of of great value, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. This is, now now the kingdom is compared not to the treasure, but to the merchant. The merchant, right? Anybody ever seen the, uh, you ever watched that show, what is it, American Pickers? These guys that can find, they go around and they can find like treasure in the trash, right? They, they, can, they can tell what nobody else can tell. Apparently, this merchant noticed the pearl that was above all when everybody else walked by it. Now, it's interesting. In Jesus' day, the pearl was considered the most highly valued of all jewels. It was more precious than rubies. You know, we would say diamonds, but it was more than diamonds, more than gold. The pearl was more costly than anything. But there's a really interesting other uh, little detail in Jesus' story here. It's an interesting example of Jesus, again, subverting those stereotypes of his day. He says the kingdom is like a merchant, not the pearl, but the merchant. And merchants, it turns out, were not highly thought of in the day of Jesus. They were kind of looked down on, right? They were kind of that social class that everybody looked down on. They were mistrusted. There was a rabbinic saying that said, never trust the word of a merchant. Very interesting because uh, merchants were thought of as people who, they didn't build their wealth in like land or like growing lots of crops or having lots of herds of animals or building structures or anything like that. They were just thought of as kind of like profiteers of anything they could flip, right? And Jesus says, yeah, my kingdom is like a merchant. My kingdom is like a salesman. I love that Jesus is never afraid to align himself with the humblest members of his society, right? He aligns himself with the fishermen, the shepherds, the Samaritan. Remember he told the story of the good Samaritan, someone who nobody liked at that time. The, a, a simple woman baking bread. He said, yeah, that's that's who I align with, the merchant. A couple other things to notice. You remember in the first story, finding the treasure happens completely accidentally, right? The guy's just sort of, do do hey, what's that? Look, treasure, right? He's, he wasn't looking for treasure that day. He just saw it, and there it was. He, he jumped on the opportunity. But in this second parable, notice there's some real intentionality happening here. You've got somebody who is searching, for great pearls. This is a pearl merchant, right? And you got somebody who's on the search. And I love that Jesus, on one level, he's perhaps acknowledging that we all enter the kingdom in different ways. God can meet us in any way. And that's exciting to me. Some of us come upon the kingdom after a long search for it. We're looking, we're searching, we're knocking, we're asking. And some of us sort of just happen upon it. How many of you have that kind of testimony, right? I've heard both testimonies, like the people at the, long, at the end of the long search and the people who are just like, yeah, God just like hit me on the head one day, right? And he knocked me off my horse and there I am. And, and now I love him. So this morning, if you're here, you might be identified with one of these. You, some of you might be thinking that you're kind of here accidentally. You might be thinking, what am I doing here? What am, why am I watching this, this show right now on the internet? 
You might be, you, and, that, and you might be, regardless of how you're here or why you're here, you might find something that's going to change your life if your eyes are open. And others of you, you've been coming a while because you are searching. You're like this merchant who's looking for the ultimate pearl. You're seeking. There's something missing, and you need to find that thing. But you know what the cool thing is? Whether or not you're seeking God, God is seeking you. He's seeking you. And all you have to do is turn around, and he's right there. He's been there all along. He's seeking after you. He's been seeking you since the day you were born. Well, I was going to say that. Actually, it's before you were born. Right? Before you were even conceived, you were conceived in the mind of God. He has been seeking you forever. Because that's the nature of God. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you. And, and he just, all we have to do is open our eyes to what's right in front of us. Now, there's something else in both of these parables. Notice the person who finds the treasure and the merchant who finds the pearl, both of them have the same response. It is all in, right? This is just like ridiculous, over-the-top, all-in response here. They sell everything they have. Now, the first guy sells everything so he can have the treasure, but you notice he at least gets some land out of the deal, doesn't he? So he, he has some land to live on. The merchant sells everything for one pearl. In effect, the merchant makes himself homeless. You can't eat it. <laughs> you can't live in it. He, in, in fact, basically puts himself out of a job because he is no longer a merchant at that point. He is a collector of one pearl. But what both of these characters have in common is that they hold nothing back. And, and because they, they've discovered something of greater value than anything they could possibly hold on to. And, and when I was reading these parables, I couldn't help but think of the story of the rich young ruler. Um, the rich young ruler is a story out of Matthew 19. I'm just going to tell it to you because it's, it's kind of a, it's a fleshed out version of these parables. But the story in a nutshell is there is this, well, he's a rich young ruler. He's a young official and he apparently has it all. He's got social status. He's got wealth. And he comes up to Jesus one day and he says, he asks this very profound question of Jesus. He says, what am I still lacking? He recognizes Jesus as a person of wisdom and authority. He says, what am I still lacking? And what makes it fascinating is this guy on paper seems to have it all. He's got it all. And he's not a bad guy. It, it, the way he responds to Jesus, when Jesus asks him some questions, it sounds like he's a very good, observant Jew. So he should be feeling pretty good about things. I mean, I got, I got the money. I got the position in life. I'm a good, observant Jew. But he asked, what am I still lacking? Something was missing. And I love Jesus' answer to him because Jesus uniquely sees right into this guy's heart. He knows exactly what to tell him. And he tells him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions. Sell, in other words, sell everything, everything you have, and give to the poor, and then you'll have heavenly treasure. Sell everything for that heavenly treasure. Basically, just what the parable, happened in the parable. Now, Jesus doesn't tell everybody to do this. This was something unique to this young, rich guy that he told to do this. Why? Because he saw something in his heart. And this is a pretty harsh thing for him to ask this guy to do. How many of you ever like read some of the words that Jesus says to people and you're like, Jesus, come on. 
that's pretty harsh. Maybe you should lay back a little bit, right? I've noticed uh, something. Whenever I feel like maybe Jesus has misspoken, (laughs) it probably has something to do with more my misunderstanding of what's happening than anything Jesus did wrong. I mean, call me crazy. But Jesus sees into the heart of this guy, and he knows what this young man's heart is still in bondage to. And it says that the rich young ruler went away sad because he had great wealth. He went away sad. Basically, he couldn't let go of what he had, even to gain something so much better. And I think a lot of us are trapped by what we hold on to. We could ask it like this. What do you find it hard to let go of? What do you find it hard to exchange for the sake of the kingdom? This is an important question to ask yourself. Because whatever that is, that will be the stumbling block in your relationship with Christ. It'll allow you to grow to a certain point and go no further. Whatever that is. We are, you and me get spiritually stuck behind Whatever it is, we're not willing to give up. Whatever it is we can't give up, that's our ceiling and our growth with Christ. And most often, our fundamental mistake has to do with perceived value, this idea of perceived value. We accumulate the wrong things, don't we? I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. We, we, we buy things we can't afford to impress people we don't even like, Right? And you know where we end up in there? I think about this rich young ruler. I, I picture him at the very end of his life, and I guarantee he's still asking the same question. Yeah, but what am I still lacking? What am I still lacking? And you know why he's asking that is because he held on to what he had. He had everything, but there had to be a moment toward the end when he realized everything was nothing. What a devastating moment to experience in your life, to realize that everything you have accumulated is of no value. And so many of us don't stop to consider what we're really investing our lives in. I know a message like this isn't like all, yeah, preach it, pastor. Okay, I get it. I know. But, But I think it's important for us to be reminded that maybe we need to do the hard work of looking in the mirror Maybe looking in our credit card statement or looking on our calendar and asking ourselves about our priorities. What are you really valuing? What is my life being invested in? Where is my treasure? At the end of this encounter with the rich young ruler, the disciples are standing around kind of watching this happen. And Peter the, uh, to be soon to be the apostle Peter, but at this time he's just the disciple Peter, and he asks a question at the very end of it, and I love it because it's such an honest question. Peter says, "Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What will be there for us?" And I, and I, honestly, I can identify with this because it kind of almost sounds like he he's second guessing a little bit. He's having a little bit of doubt here. He's looking at Jesus. And when you're asking this question, it usually doesn't come at the end of your happiest week. But, Je- uh, but Peter's saying, Jesus, you know, we, we're doing all this. We've given up all this. What's it for? What's it all for? What is it all for? 
We've given up everything. And it kind of seems like this rich young ruler guy, seems like he's going to be the winner because he's going to end up with the most toys here. And Jesus answers so beautifully, basically, trust me. Peter, he says, trust me, those who have given up relationships, riches, he says, family or house, and given those things up will have a hundred times more in the life to come. Because there's something eternal about that treasure. Jim Elliott, he's, the, um, he's a famous missionary who was martyred in 1956, taking the gospel to the jungle tribes of Ecuador. He famously said, He is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. To gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to close with this story. In the mid-1800s mid or so, uh, the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, he's my favorite philosopher. Um, he's, he, he was a Christian. He's considered sort of the father of existentialism. He wrote this, his own little parable in one of his books. And he wrote this story about two robbers. He said, once upon a, once upon a time, these two thieves break into a jewelry store. But they did something very strange. They didn't steal any jewelry. Instead, they switched all the price tags. <laughs> they, put the, they took the tags off of the really expensive jewelry and they put it on the cheap costume jewelry. And they took the discounted tags off the cheap jewelry and they put it on the really expensive stuff. And then they left. And the next morning, the store opened up for business as usual and nobody noticed. In fact, weeks went by and no one noticed that folks were buying $10,000 rings for just a few bucks. And people were buying this $9 costume jewelry for thousands of dollars. And the point of the story for, for Kierkegaard was simple. He said, in our modern culture, we have a difficult time discerning what is valuable and what is worthless. This was in the mid-1800s. I would say things haven't changed a bit. We have a difficult time dis discerning what is valuable, what is worthless. And because of that, he said, our lives, we spend our lives being ripped off. Jesus said, the thief comes, your enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We know he comes to steal. But I would suggest that the devil typically doesn't come in and just steal your stuff out of your home. You don't come home today and find all your stuff gone because the devil stole it. He's very covert, this devil. What the devil does is switch price tags. You have an enemy who's switched all the price tags in your life to get you to value things that have no eternal value. And, and, and our lives get robbed from us, and we don't even put up a fight because we don't even know we've been swindled. Because wow. we, we overvalue what is ultimately worthless. We undervalue what is priceless. I have another little side theory here too, is that nobody has really ever sacrificed anything for God. Amen. Sure, you've made temporary sacrifices, right? We've made temporary sacrifices, but let me ask you a question. If you always get back more than you gave, is that really a sacrifice? Amen. No. If you always get back far more than you gave, that's not a sacrifice. And many of us are clutching onto things in our life because we're afraid, I think, that Jesus might ask us to lay it aside for something better. 
So we want to hide it from Jesus. I think a lot of people are following Jesus. They think they're following Jesus, but really it's more about Jesus following them. And now I'm speaking to myself as well. We, you know, we, we think we've invited Jesus. We, we, we look at these stories in the Bible of Jesus calling his disciples. And what we have done is we've gone to Jesus and we've said, Jesus, come follow me. Because we don't want to go anywhere without Jesus, right? We're not crazy. Sure, we want to be with Jesus, but we want him to follow us wherever it is we go. But to experience the full adventure, the, the, the fulfillment, the fruit, that joy, we have to come to the point where we say, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. Amen. Wherever this leads, I'm ready to give my all for you. And some of you, a day could be today. Did you notice something? in these parables. The first man sells everything to buy a field. He gets the treasure thrown in for free. He gets the treasure at a bargain. Grace, the kingdom, he couldn't afford that. There's no way he could ever afford to buy that, but he can buy the field. And and that's such a picture of it. We exchange, we don't buy grace. We can't buy our way into the kingdom. All we can do is exchange one life for a different life, the field and the kingdom, God's grace, his salvation, sonship with the God of the universe himself. That comes for free when we make that exchange. That comes for free. But notice the second person, the merchant, sells everything to buy one pearl. Scholars and theologians have noted that This is a terrible business decision. He does not come by the pearl cheaply. He doesn't get the pearl at a discount. It costs him literally everything. He gives up home. He gives up status to do it. He gives up his life basically for something that cannot in the natural sustain him. And yet he values that pearl more than everything else. And that is because the merchant is Jesus. He gave up everything for the pearl of that great price. He gave up his position in heaven. He made himself homeless. He became a servant to all to purchase this pearl. Because you, my friend, are the pearl. You are priceless to God. This morning, we get to celebrate Jesus together in communion. The God who came and became a child of this world so that we could become children of heaven, children of God. Jesus was born into an empire of darkness so that we could be born into the kingdom of light. He exchanged everything he had so that we could someday be with him and be like him. So this morning, as you take your, your juice and the wafer and you get it ready, I'm going to pray for us. Hallelujah. Father, we come to you right now in a spirit of gratitude and remembrance for what Jesus did for us. We acknowledge, Lord, this priceless gift of grace and sonship that you offer us. 
We ask your Holy Spirit to help us extend that grace and that mercy to others around us, to other people today, this week, this month, as we interact with our neighbors as ambassadors for your kingdom, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be open and responsive in any areas of our life, Lord, right now where your spirit is convicting us, where those areas where we've held back from you, where we have been ungenerous and unloving, unkind, any part of our lives, Lord, where we've considered them more valuable than the treasure of your kingdom. Lord, give us courage to trust you, Lord, to trust you more and to have our eyes open to what you're up to all around us, Lord. Oh God, may we be not just forgiven, but set free from our sins. Reorder the loves in our life. Lord, for those who who need to make that decision this morning, maybe for the first time, to just step out and follow you, Lord. May they have the courage to say yes to you. Lord, for those who are being really honest and say, it's been more about you following them. May something shift inside us. May we give it all up to follow you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Friends, we take our cup here. Let's take the bread this morning together. The body of Christ is broken for you. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Let's drink the cup. The blood of Christ shed for you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, each of us today, we leave this place. May we experience, Father, more of your life. May we experience your blessing as we turn over more and more of ourself to your will, to your kingdom. May your will be done on earth, in our lives, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. If you're here today and you have a need that we can pray with you about, we would love to hear about it. We have a prayer warriors that are just waiting to hear whatever it is that you need. And uh, I encourage you, there's a lot of different ways to send us your prayer request. You could do it online in these different ways. You can write it down and put it in the offering boxes. Um, also, my dad, Pastor Albert, will be up here to pray for you. If you would like someone to stand with you one-on-one, face-to-face, he will be up here to pray with you in that way, because we believe it's not the same when we pray. Faith, our faith in action works. Hallelujah. Also, if you're here today and you're uh, giving your tithes and your offerings, I just encourage you, uh, thank you so much for being a blessing, for not only being a blessing and honoring the Lord, but you're helping this tribe, this church, be a blessing to the people in our church, in our community, and around the world. Thank you so much. There's all the different ways that you can uh, give God your tithes and offerings. There's also uh, offering boxes right up here by the stage. They're out in the foyers as well, as well as the online ways to do it. Amen. Okay, so my friends, would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Let me bless you. May the God who can do far above all that you can even ask or imagine through the power at work within you. 
May he be glorified in us this week. Grace and peace to you. Bye-bye.